This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Today is the observed Feast of the Ascension of Christ. It was a holy day of obligation on some calendars, like mine, this past Thursday, but many bishops, and apparently most bishops in most places, decided to move it to Sunday, for whatever reason. And here, we are about to have Archbishop Vigano remind us really of the reality that the church is entrusted with the deposit of faith to remain the same. The faith is to remain the same, unchanged. That one day Christ will return and ask his servants, what have you done with the treasures I have given you? Did you bury them or did you invest them? And the investment meaning, did you go and work for a more bountiful harvest of souls? He spends a lot of time in this talking about the ascension of the Lord and what it means. But in the end, he comes to the reality of the present state of the church. A church that seems more, at this time, interested in being ecumenical and dialoguing and all the rest of it than actually preaching the truth, of shying away from the truth. It should give us pause. Because, as he usually does, he nails it. At least when he's talking about things going on in the church. Let me know what you think of this in the end, please. Homily for the Ascension of Our Lord Jesus Christ by Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano. In the introit of today's Mass, we sang, Men of Galilee, what do you marvel at when you look up at heaven? The two angels asked the apostles, engrossed in seeing the Lord ascend. The heavenly messenger's question is rhetorical. The prodigy which derogates from the laws of nature is nothing compared to the miracle of the resurrection in which they will witness up to their martyrdom. Why are you surprised to see the Lord ascend to heaven? Are you amazed to see him miraculously ascend to disappear in the clouds? Or are you surprised that he is leaving you alone, now that he has risen and can restore the kingdom of Israel? But he has, But hasn't he already said to you, I'm going to prepare the place for you. And when I have gone away and prepared a place for you, will I come again and take you with me, so that where I am you too may be? Why didn't the Lord say with us? If he hadn't ascended to heaven so soon, indeed, if he were still on earth, he could have traveled and made his gospel known with the authority of a God who became man, died, and rose again. Christianity would have spread faster and more successfully, also sparing many martyrs' lives. If the Lord had remained here on earth, he could have truly restored the kingdom of Israel and the Catholic Church, being himself the one to govern as pontiff and as king. He would have gone through the centuries without growing old, and this would have been enough to convert to him the world. This is why the apostles are amazed, because they still act and think according to the mentality of the world. Our Lord, after thirty years of retired life and three years of ministry, in three days defeated the ancient serpent with his passion and death, repurchasing at the price of his most precious blood every soul taken away from eternal salvation by Adam's sin. He redeemed us. He bought us slaves of the devil to make us free to no longer be servants, but friends. In the forty days following the resurrection, he taught the apostles the truths of the faith and to celebrate the sacraments. And at the end of his accelerated seminar held by none other than the Lord himself, the time has come to leave the upper room. Go for everything to the world, preach the gospel to all men. Wherever believes, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. It is his last command. Only ten days pass between the ascension of the Lord and the descent of the Holy Spirit. 
you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit who will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The flames of the paraclete that stop on the head of the apostles and of the Blessed Virgin on the day of Pentecost give birth to the Holy Church, mystical body of Christ, and from that moment the doors of the Xenical, until then closed for fear of the uh, elder brothers, they open wide and new people emerge, reborn in the Holy Spirit, who no longer think according to the spirit of the world, but according to God. We will sing in a few days, Emete spiritum tuum et crebentur et rene vabis faciam terra. The moment they let themselves be touched by grace, they have changed their thinking. And it is thanks to this that they understand the need for the ascension. The church is born when the eleven who have remained faithful to their master understand that the void left on this earth by the Lord, the space of time that goes from his ascension into heaven to his return in glory at the end of time, must be used to make the infinite treasures of the merits of Christ's passion, with the preaching of the gospel to all nations, with the witness of our faith, with the conversion of souls to the one shepherd in the one fold, in the one baptism, in the one profession of the faithful. The Holy Church is the continuation of the presence of her divine head until the end of the world. It is in his most pure bosom, the Holy of Holies, the altar of God, that in the holy sacrifice of the Mass, under the Eucharistic veils, the Lord descends with his glorious body and blood, his soul and his divinity. And it is men who perform this ineffable miracle, thanks to whose priesthood our Lord Jesus Christ remains on this earth, present in the eyes of the faith, a prisoner of the tabernacle, so that with St. Thomas we can recognize him and adore him as our Lord and our God, even without putting fingers in his holy wounds. The blessed sacrament of the altar, Holy Church's beating heart, is the divine gift of the Lord who ascends to heaven to his faithful, whom he leaves in this land of exile, in this valley of tears, in this battlefield that never knows despair. And while we remember the mystery of the ascension by symbolically extinguishing the paschal candle while singing the gospel, another flame remains lit. It is the one in the red lamp that burns next to the tabernacle, that honors the presence of the King of Kings, who humbles himself in his infant magnificence by exposing himself to irreverence, sacrilege, and the profanation of the wicked, in order to have the consolation of seeing us prostrate before him, to pray to him, to thank him for the favors granted, to implore him for a favor, to ask him for forgiveness for our shortcomings, to receive him in the Most Holy Eucharist, and to make our souls the temple of the Most Holy Trinity, to put all our faith, all our hope, all our love in him. Facci mi tibi sempre magis crede, in te spem habere te diligere. If our Lord had willed his own triumph according to the mentality of the world, he would have created us without free will, programming us to do only his will, without merit and without guilt. He would not have even created the sinful angels, avoiding having against the ranks of rebellious spirits. He would have made us all equal, distributing us all equal on the planet, equipping us with the bare necessities and controlling our every action. In short, he would have acted like say, uh, a redacted name who would like to to put all of man into servitude and erase what makes us human and our creator wonderfully divine. Our uniqueness, our freedom to love him, and to reciprocate the magnificence of his graces with our misery. The Lord's success is not accomplished according to the mentality of the world, because if it were so, it would be nothing but an illusion, an ephemeral firework, like all worldly things that do not come from God. With Christ, it takes place at the delicacy of the Father who leaves the Son with the satisfaction of de demonstrating his own abilities to him. 
the fruit drawn from Father's teaching. Like the craftsman who, having to be absent, leaves the workshop to the more experienced to give him the opportunity to confirm the well-placed trust, and he knows that when he comes back he won't be disappointed. Our Lord ascends to heaven because from this moment, each of us, and especially the successors of the apostles, have the mandate to proclaim God's salvation in a rebellious and apostate world, to bring the light of Christ into the darkness of sin and death. I am sending you like sheep among wolves, he told us, foretelling that a disciple is not worth more than his master, nor a servant worth more than his master. This is a moment of trial, which has lasted, with mixed results, for 2,000 years. The church continues to make Christ present on earth and to offer him mystically to the Father. But how many wolves, disguised not only as lambs, but even as shepherds, how many corrupt mercenaries, deluded that they can defraud their master before his return? How many traitors? In the question of the two angels to the disciples, there is a warning. That Jesus, who was taken away from you into heaven, so will come, as you have seen him, go into heaven. This refers to the end of time, when our Lord, triumphant over death and sin, will return to judge the living and the dead. To conclude with a universal process that victory over the ancient serpent announced in the Proto-Evangelium, inaugurated with the Incarnation, accomplished with the Passion and Death on the cross, but still incomplete because it lacks a public condemnation of Satan and his servants. An inexorable condemnation already written, but still to be pronounced. Liebe scriptis profetur in quo tutum contetur un mundes judicetur, we sing in the Dis Erae, the book that was written in which everything is contained. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? If we look around us, we should say yes, because the adversities we are going through allow many souls to convert and return to God, and this celebration is proof of that. But if we look at the world, there is something to horrify, starting with the apostasy, corruption, and immorality in which the Catholic hierarchy finds itself. Many of my confreres and many priests think it is easier to promote a soft version of Christianity, one that is humanitarian, green, and uh, encompassing of the whole world, because its, quote, complete edition is considered unsuitable for the mentality of the world. With a mercantile mentality, they believe they can rejuvenate the warehouse by proposing a new product that meets the tastes of customers. Undemanding of things, as generic as they are reassuring for those who do not want to change anything in their lives. Solidarity, acceptance, inclusion, synodality, resi resilience, eco-sustainability, and above all, no reference to sin. Therefore, no original sin, no redemption, but only a walking together towards the abyss. The passion and death of the Lord is encumbrance. It is divisive. It is not inclusive. It doesn't build bridges. It builds walls. But it is this, perhaps, the faith that the Lord taught the apostles during the three years of public ministry, and after the resurrection, till the moment of the ascension. Is that why he instituted holy orders and all the sacraments? Is this what he commanded all nations to be taught? For this reason did the martyrs die in atrocious torments. To be told that the divine mission of the church to convert peoples is solemn nonsense. For this reason have the holy fathers and doctors of the church dedicated their lives to preaching of doctrine. To listen to the delusional rambling speeches against those who remain faithful to holy tradition, marginalized as a backslider or pathological nostalgic, were Catholic priests persecuted for this in Henry VIII's England or in the revolution in France. The see prohibited that mass which is hated by heretics of all times. The two angels not only admonish the disciples with their heads up, but also each one of us, that Jesus who was taken away from you into heaven, so will come, just as you saw him go into heaven. And when he returns, he will ask his administrators what they have done with the priceless talents that he has left them in the coffer of the Holy Church. Give an account of your stewardship. 
I tremble at the idea of the judgment of God, who has established the Pope and the bishops in authority, so that they may be other Christs and preach the gospel to all peoples. And today the church is found infested by a Sanhedrin of hypocrites, heretics, and apostates intent on dividing with the mighty of the earth his unfitting garment. How was the patrimony of Christ brought to fruition, made up of the sacraments of the Holy Mass? By copying the supper to the Protestants and forbidding the apostolic rite? How were the talents of preaching and apostolate multiplied? The treasures of doctrine of the holy theologians by promoting Aaronist ecumenism and sacrilegiously participating in the pantheon of Abu Dhabi's, quote, Abrahamic religions, by having the infertile idol of Pacamama worshipped in the Vatican, encouraging the vices and mocking the virtues, promoting unworthy prelates and persecuting good priests. These corrupt-mitered bureaucrats will rush to unearth the treasure, thinking they can return it with impunity without making any profit when it has been conquered with the blood of the Lamb. The ascension of the Lord shows us that it is his will that we cooperate in the work of salvation, because we are living members of his body, which is the church. And as such, we must docilely follow his divine head. He asks the pastors whom he has ordered to preach the gospel and baptize all nations, without leaving any misunderstandings on the condemnation that awaits those who do not convert and those who do not proclaim the gospel, because the authority of pastors is vicarious, that is, it exists precisely because it is exercised in the physical absence of our Lord, the sole head of the church. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever despises you despises me. These are words that reassure those who are despised by the world because they preach Christ, but which must terrify those who are welcomed by the world because they preach another gospel in the name of Christ. The Lord goes away without noise. As in silence he has risen. Alone he lets himself be seen by the disciples, so that the evidence of his ascension into heaven is followed by faith in his sacramental presence in the most holy Eucharist guarded by the church. The hope of reuniting with him in celestial glory and the ardent charity and loving him and the come for your sake. This is the legacy that the church of Christ has transmitted intact for 2,000 years and that no one can modify or adulterate, deluding himself that he can get away with it. Deus non iretur. Because when the Lord comes back, he will want to get back in possession of the priceless spiritual goods that he has granted to his ministers for administration and for which they will have to give an account. Let us all therefore treasure everyone from the leaders of the church to the humblest faithful of the time that remains to us of what we have left in this mortal life before finding ourselves before God for the particular judgment of what remains in the world and in the church before the end of time, before the last judgment. If even just one soul has been won over to Christ by our preaching, by our example, by one of our good words, we will be able to serenely show the Lord that we have multiplied the talents received and hear the answer. Bravo, good and faithful servant. Enter to the joy of your Lord. May this hope be valid above all for those whom the Lord has placed in authority in the church. May this be the intention of the prayer we place at the feet of the Queen of the Apostles and Mother of the Church, Holy Mary. Amen. And that was Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano's homily for the Feast of the Ascension, published originally in Italian on the actual Feast of the Ascension this past Thursday, a feast which many of us are still wonder why it gets moved to from Thursday to Sunday in most places. Again, my calendar, my 1962 liturgical calendar, says it's a Holy Day of Obligation on Thursday. I don't know why it gets moved, but it does, and that is the world we live in, where there are very few holy days of obligation that are observed as holy days of obligation. But Vigano gives us some striking words on reminding us that the prelates of the church, from the lowliest, humblest priest, and even really the laity, all the way up 
to the Holy Father have been entrusted with the faith. And one day Christ will return. Hope and he will be asking, what, will, what have you done with the treasure I gave you? Did you bury it or did you essentially invest it? In this, time, in this case, investing means spreading the gospel for a bigger harvest of souls. If it were to happen today, we already know what the answer would be from most of the hierarchy. An unusual way of talking about the Feast of the Ascension, but we should not be surprised that Archbishop Vigano brought the crisis into the church into the Feast of the Ascension and his homily for the day. Let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help, as does sharing this on social media. That helps a lot, too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.